It is time for Around the 412 with Smitty and Tyler. Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I am Tyler. With me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure that you are following us on all of our social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and go subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Um, leave us a review down there. Leave a comment and, and let us know what you think about the show and what you want to see in the future. Also, while you're on those listening platforms and YouTube, go check out the description of each of the shows because at the top of the description, we have our link to Rocking Around the 412 Year 6 in the previous five years. With the help of all of you, we've been able to raise over $25,000 for kids in our local 724 and 412 area codes. So be able to check that out. Um, we also partner with the East Rochester Salvation Army as part of their Angel Tree um, to to help adopt kids from that and, and be able to provide Christmas for them as well. So if you want to check that out or share the mission, that would help us a lot. You could donate at the link below as well. It's a GoFundMe link. So so you could read all about it. And also, if you know of any families or if you are a family yourself who could think you could be uh, using some help this Christmas time, don't feel shy to, to let us know. You can DM Smitty or myself or the Around the 412 Twitter or wherever you can contact us. Let us know. Reach out to us and, and we would be happy to hear you out. Yep, absolutely. I think they covered it all. I will mention uh, again a week from Saturday that same Salvation Army in East Rochester is going to be having their back to school event. So if anybody for some reason would be in the area that's watching or listening to this, feel free to stop on by. I'll be hanging out there for a little bit, uh, helping them out with that event. So uh, excited for that before the Steelers second preseason game. Pretty crazy to think that that time is already coming. They have a preseason game on Friday. We'll talk about that a little bit in the second segment of the show. First things first. It happened. Finally, we'd go back weeks. We'd go back over a month at this point and talk about the Penguins interest in Eric Carlson. I said the entire time, I, I didn't know if it was just the hopium or what he was going to end up being a Pittsburgh Penguin. Here we are. Eric Carlson is a Pittsburgh Penguin and a massive trade involving 12 different pieces, three different teams involved. Shout out to the Montreal Canadiens for getting involved in this as well. And uh, I know that, you know, Eric Carlson is probably coming to the Penguins on a higher cap hit than we would have hoped at $10 million. Um, but I think that you take that trade off when you look at all the assets that we're able to move out. I mean, if you were to break down the worst contracts that the Penguins had on their roster, they probably got rid of four out of the five with the only other one being one that's immovable in Jeff Carter. So Kyle Dubas has now really reshaped this roster when you look at it since he took over and adding a Norris trophy winning defenseman that again, I thought that they needed not because of the defense that he's going to bring, but to provide some scoring punch. And we'll get into, you know, the whole Jake Gensel thing in a little bit, but that just adds on to it. They needed somebody to provide some offense that wasn't currently on the roster. 101 points for Eric Carlson last year. I don't expect that necessarily again, um, but he's going to be obviously a welcomed addition for this team at 5v5 and on the power play. When you look back at the history of the Penguins, I do not think that there has been a trade that has impacted a team more than this trade from a perspective of what they're bringing in, but also what they sent out. There's been several trades that you throughout the history that you can go back and say like, oh, th this was a great trade because of the guy we acquired but you also had to give up certain pieces. But what Kyle Dubas was able to do from getting rid of 
essentially your worst players or your players with the worst contracts and you're able to get the best player that was available to you it was like magic work what Kyle Dubas was able to do in this trade. The, the fact that they got rid of Mikhail Granlin and his contract, Jeff Petrie's contract, Jan Ruda's contract, Casey DeSmith was off the roster. He essentially just cleaned out the garbage that was that was out back and brought in a shiny new toy. And, and I don't think that that can really be understated more because – I, I, I was looking at some of the trades in Penguins history, and it's like, yeah, we th- that was a really good trade, but I just don't think there's been been this much disparity between what we got out of the trade and what we what we gave away because it literally looks like if you just look at the graphic that Smitty is pulling up on the YouTube, or if you've seen the graphic if you're listening in the audio platforms of just or just the breakdown of the entire trade. The Penguins literally got rid of all of their bad contracts or bad players and in, in in one swing of the bat. And they were able to hit a home run and bring home Eric Carlson. It it, it was master class from Kyle Dubas. I'm still shocked by the trade and the fact that I mean Jeff Petrie's just back in, in Montreal now. It's like that trade never happened. He was only here for a year. But I, I, I think that this is one of the biggest trades, especially on paper, even though Eric Carlson hasn't taken a shift yet. But on paper, yeah. from, from a perspective of where this team, what they were able to get rid of while they also – what they were or what were they were uh, getting back in the trade, it was huge. I mean, this, this is such a big deal. And for the, men- the reasons you mentioned as well, we've talked about it for several weeks on the show. Last week was the first week in, in like a month that we didn't actually mention Eric Carlson or, or have a segment talking about anything related to Eric Carlson. And now we get to. Now, now we get to, to reap our reward. And, and looking, at, looking at this trade, the Penguins do get Eric Carlson, and then they get uh, Rem Pitlick from Montreal, Dylan Hamulik. Uh, from San Jose, and they get a 2026 third-round pick. Going out, the Sharks received the 2024 first-round pick for the Penguins, Mikhail Granlin, Jan Ruda, and Mike Hoffren from Montreal. And then the Montreal received the 2025 second-round pick for from Pittsburgh for and Jeff Petrie from back from Pittsburgh, Casey DeSmith, and Nathan Legare. I, I really don't think when you look at just what the Penguins gave up, you're talking about Jeff Petrie, who was aging, a disappointment in Pittsburgh, and was on a bad contract. Jan Ruda, who is not not that young, he was disappointing a little bit in Pittsburgh and was on that not not the great that great of a contract. Casey and Smith, you brought in Nedeljkovic, so you had to get that body out, and and this is a way for the Penguins to not be able to come back with the same. Um, goalie tandem at least, and you can sell at least a little bit different. Sure, star- Jari's still a starter, but you have a little bit of change there. Um, and then Mikhail Granlin. I mean, it, the guy literally did absolutely nothing, was on a bad contract, and Kyle Dubas avoids having to buy him out and gets him in a trade as well. And then Nathan Legare. I mean, we had hopes for him as a prospect when he was drafted by the Penguins, but he's slow, not moving up in the prospect pool. So it is what it is. And the first, first and second round pick, when you're getting a guy like Carlson, who cares? I just don't think this trade could have gone any better because the way that we we had talked about it and thought that it could go, we thought, well, one, we thought that San Jose was going to retain more than they did. That it is what it is. But we did not think we were going to clean this much out of our closet um, when what was coming out. We didn't think that you were going to get I mean, we, we thought there was a possibility maybe you could get Granlin and, and Petrie in the same trade, but then you're also talking about Casey DeSmith going out and Jan Ruta going out. I mean, this is more than we ever could have anticipated. 
Yeah. Um, I, so I, I actually kind of like it from Montreal to getting involved here, just trading Rem Pitlick and Mike Hoffman, getting that second round pick. Petrie's still a, a serviceable player, and also with Pittsburgh retaining on that, you got to cheat him at you know seventy five percent of what his original cap was. Uh, Casey to Smith, I think, is a fine backup. Again, I think it's more about just not being able to run back the goaltending duo in Pittsburgh than anything else. And then uh, Nathan Ray, though, I, yeah, to your point, I know when we first got him in Sam Poulin, we were excited about both of those guys. Neither one of them seemed to be like, they seem to still have that shiny prospect status. Nathan Ray's skating like just hasn't improved at all since he became a pro. Um, not sure that he was ever going to be an NHLer, unfortunately, because like he has a pretty decent shot. But if you have nothing else, it really doesn't matter. So um, I kind of like what Montreal did here for San Jose. I mean, the big thing for them is the ten million dollars in cap space that they're going to have now, and they they're going to get off of the books uh, sooner. You know, I know that you're taking on Randlin's five million, uh, Hoffman's four point whatever, Ruta's. 2.7 so really you're negating that cap space for the time being but hoffman's a free agent after this year grandland is in two ruda is in two so you're getting off of that money sooner that was their intention here and then you get a top 10 protected first round pick i don't think the Penguins are gonna be picking the top 10 so they'll probably get that first round pick um but yeah obviously as a penguins fan i'm, st- I'm ecstatic about it regardless but this is kind of i guess that's the return that I expected San Jose to get. I didn't think that the Penguins would be able to offload all of those bad assets in one deal. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, here we are. I think that that's uh, a great move. And again, Kyle Dubas, this is really him putting his his handprints all over this roster at this point. He talked about trying to get Carlson going back to his days. Uh, he said former place of employment. Clearly, he's trying to avoid saying Toronto in, in Maple Leafs. Um, but clearly Dubas has long been interested in Eric Carlson. And I'm just, I'm so excited now for the season to start. And I wanted to bring up something to you. I do, like I said, I want to talk about Gensel here in a second, but something that I, I wanted to bring up because I haven't necessarily seen it yet. I'm sure somebody has said it, but I think there needs to be a lot of conversation about this. Uh, I think the Penguins power play struggles have been well-documented is anybody. I mean, I, I think there are people that are going to say that he's not, that there's people with more pressure on them, at least in my eyes. Is there anybody with more pressure on them than Todd Reardon next year? Because if the Penguins power play still isn't good next season, how how do you justify it? Like how, how do you justify if this unit next year isn't top five to seven in the NHL? Like there's it, Todd Reardon is going to be on his way out. In my opinion, if that's the case. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree fully. Um, and, you know, when you look at what the first power play could be, uh, there's a potential that, that Eric Carlson would take over Latang's spot and Latang could go to the second power play, or they could even roll into the possibility of you, you just run the I two defensemen. I think without Jake, at least, to start the season, you'll see both. But Yeah, and and so when you when you have Latang, uh, I mean, I would, would the first power play at that point be Latang, Carlson, Sid, Gino, and would you put Rust or Raquel there? Um. So it's tough because to me, I don't know that Rust is really a net front presence guy either, but Raquel certainly isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are they in otherwise are they gonna ask Sid to Sid to be that guy? That would be your only option. The net? I, feel like. I mean, yeah. I, I'll say I'll say Raquel, but I don't love the idea of what that means for 
where Sid would be at. I mean, even regardless, it doesn't really matter who that fourth skater is. It, when you look yeah. at the the other four that you'd have, if if you're not scoring at a better at a better um, percentage next year on your power play, then something's got to give. Um, Todd Reardon would have to go at that point because we we've talked so much about the last several seasons of without Phil Kessel and what he brought to the power play as a as a playmaker and as a as a quarterback of that power play, they haven't really been able to find the same sort of vibe or, and and be able to run the same power play that they did whenever he was here. So at this point, you have as much firepower as you've ever had on that power play if you're skating all those guys out there. And so I, I think you're right. If there is a ton of pressure on Reardon, and I and I think that the second power play could look really good too once Jake is healthy again. Um because then you're talking about a second power play, assuming that Jake goes on the first power play, and let, let's let's even say that they they keep um, Raquel on the first power play as well, or, or whoever it is. Then you you would have Latang and Rust and Riley Smith and Jeff Carter, and then someone else on the that second power play. Pick whoever you want. Um, to fill that last spot. Maybe Alex Nylander, maybe another defenseman. Maybe it's like POJ or something. Who knows? But you're going to have two solid power plays from a skill level position. So I, I don't think that there is much of an excuse anymore. I, at this point, I feel like it is is definitely more down to the scheme of the power play more than it is the actual skaters that are on the ice. And so if that's the case, then the scheme is coming from that coach and that coach would have to go at that point because we can't have the power play and special teams in general being a Achilles heel for the Penguins at this point. I don't even think you can justify them being like middle of the pack next year. Like that's and that's where they were at five V five too. is 16th in goals in the league last year. You would think that number is going to go up too. I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't know what reasonable expectations are for Carlson. Let's just, let's talk about that. Coming off 101 points, we obviously don't expect that. It's kind of hard to look at just like the shorter, you know, you can break it down to like a, what was it per game basis, but we've also had a lot of shortened seasons thrown in there too in recent history with him. What is a reasonable expectation you think for Eric Carlson's 2023-2024 season? Well, I think that automatically you're going to expect him to be with Marcus Pedersen, um, which is great. I know there is... We, we talked about it before that Marcus Pedersen is probably one of the most underrated defensemen in the entire NHL uh, and what he's going to bring with Eric his, Carlson. Like, updated uh, his his, his, his J Fresh card. Yeah. I mean, I'll pull it 96% up on here too. war. Um, yeah. No, he's he is one of the most underrated defensemen in the NHL. And he's super, he's probably the most underrated penguin amongst the, the entire Penguins fan base. I would feel like just based off of what I see when people talk about Marcus Pedersen. Um, I, I think because of his his size and his how skinny and small he is, people underrate how good he is just positionally good with his stick. Yeah, I, I and and lo- looking at that, he is in the ninety seventh percentile of even strength defense. I, I mean, that's that is uh, incredible. And I, like you said, and credit to you, this is probably going to be Eric Carlson's best defensive partner that he's ever had, which will allow him to to remain this the offensive threat that he is. And I, I think that from a Eric Carlson perspective, what this means and what reasonable expectations could be are I, I'm not expecting him to reach 100 points again. But I think if you get if if I think if you get like 60 plus points from Carlson, 
mm-hmm. and then on top of that, I think he's going to be playing first line minutes. That that's what I would anticipate because I don't think a trade like this is for a second line defenseman. I I think that you're going to have Eric Carlson as the first line defenseman come October. Hmm. See, I think Carlson is going to play the bulk of the power play. Latang will take a back seat there, and their minutes will be pretty much even. But I think Latang plays a, plays slightly more at five v five. Okay. And I I think it's going to be so close though that it really doesn't even matter. And I like yeah, it might Pedersen. be minuscule. I like Pedersen more than I like Graves. So like I think that that could end up being their best pairing when you talk about what they how they complement each other. Pedersen too, just twenty six years old, which is crazy to think about. Um, yeah, he's been here since two thousand eighteen. But I mean, you look at everything here and what actually matters for defensemen. I mean, you gotta like everything about this. Like, really, the only things in the red finishing goals per sixty, you would expect those to not necessarily be that great. Uh, for Marcus Pedersen, the penalties um, would be the only other thing. The competition level, I bet you see that percentage go up this year. Um, I think he's gonna play some harder minutes. That's why you know we keep talking about like Ryan Graves being the Dumoulin replacement. I think Pedersen is going to be what Dumoulin was during his best years, though. Like I, we're already kind of seen it when we talk about how undervalued he is by a subset of this fan base. I really think this is the guy that is their number one left-handed defenseman, whether the minutes are going to reflect that or not. Yeah, I mean, when you're in the 98th percentile of penalty kill and 97th of of even strike defense. It's it's hard to get much better than that. Literally, only two or three percent better than that. So, I, I, you don't really have to sell me on it. I mean, you and I have been on Mark Patterson's train for several years at this point. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to see what a pairing of him and Carlson could look like. And I think that this, from a from a uh, scoring perspective, is exactly what the Penguins needed. And there were arguments, and and we we talked about it with the, with the Knicks from uh, the the Iceberg podcast. But you know, I I do think that this was a move they needed to do because of the lack of scoring, and and they didn't really address a ton of scoring in their bottom six in the off season. It was more of a you got better defensively, and we're going to prevent people from scoring instead of we're going to outscore the opposition. Now you have somebody that's able to make up for that. And, and especially with Jake out for what could be um, a month yeah. into the season at the earliest, um, it, it, it's, it's someone that could provide more offense as well from that blue line. And that's something the Penguins have needed. They, they haven't really had a, a heavy scoring blue line the past several seasons, which, which is, uh, a, was a part of their DNA whenever they had those back-to-back cup runs in 16 and 17. Um, so I, I think that this is a perfect way to get back to what the Penguins were then from a defensive standpoint and having having the offensive defensemen being able to to, to provide uh, and generate offense when they when needed. And it's it's, it's a complete game changer. I mean, the, the this is a there's not every day where the Penguins or, or really any team like when your team is making a blockbuster trade, but like trading for Eric Carlson, that is huge. And in the way the fashion that the Penguins did it, with what they were able to to get off of their books, it makes the trade that much even better without him even taking a shift yet. Yeah, I'm. Let's go to the Gensel portion of this now. Um, 
having ankle surgery or had ankle surgery, I should say, uh, mm-hmm. going to miss. He won't be even reevaluated until after their first five games of the season. So who knows what the timetable is here? Um, it sucks. I really don't know what else to say other than that. I mean, at least it's happening now and not like right before the season. Uh, it's unfortunate that this is something that was kind of that had already happened basically, but he felt good enough to be playing in that uh, the beauty league. And he had been doing that up until like four days before he had the surgery. So it wasn't something that he just hurt then. Um, mm-hmm. it, like look at Sid's wrist, right? Like Sid's wrist was bothering him for a long time. Just wasn't getting surgery in the off season. Finally, it just gave and there was no other option for him. And I, that's kind of how I'm viewing Jake's ankle here. Um, I guess the only concern is we've seen a name that we already mentioned on this podcast, Brian Dumlin, not now, not trying to compare them as players, obviously, but we've seen him get an ankle surgery in the player that he was after that Jake Gensel going into the final year of his contract coming off an ankle surgery. Is there cause for concern in terms of the player that he is going to be when he returns? I think there is. Um, and I, and I think that with, pretty much any player that has a surgery like that not not just those those two specific players um but i think there is and for the reasonings that we we you just mentioned too because we talked about having uh thoughts of do we re-sign jake gensel uh we've we had those discussions on the show before and if jake comes back and he doesn't look like the same player he's he looks like he's lost a step I mean, you saw a little bit of his regression, especially at five on five last year. If it starts to slope down, um, I, I'm not saying I want him gone, uh, but but there's definitely a, a a steep cliff that can happen with players when it comes to sur- surgeries like that. And so, I I, I think that it's definitely a, a wait and see. You have to see what he looks like when he comes back. But it, I am definitely concerned about it because. We saw a little bit of the regression at five on five last year, and if that would were to continue, you could turn into a a Brian Dumlin like scenario. But the the difference being, he's in a contract year. Um, so I guess I guess it's it's it, we're on a wait and see basis with him. I hope I hope he doesn't lose a step. I hope he just feel comes back and feels completely fine and feels like the same player that he's been. Um, but with an injury like that, you never know. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not going to project that he's going to fall off in the way Brian Dumoulin did or not be able to get back to the level that he was playing at. You certainly hope that he's going to. Um, but I certainly think that it, you know, is something that has to be on your mind when you think about this team and where you're projecting them to be and where are the goals going to come from. And that's why a name that I want to throw out there that's still available on the market, Thomas Tatar, I think, should be on the Penguins' radar at this point. I think he can play in the bottom six. I think he could jump into the top six. Don't think he's going to cost a ton of money. Um, Elliot Friedman actually mentioned his name specifically when saying he didn't think the Penguins were done. They could still add a player like that to their forward group. And it would give somebody – now, of course, I just said, like, with Jake out, somebody's got to jump into the top six. Maybe that's him if he's added. But it would also, when healthy, when Jake is back, give them a player within the bottom six that you feel could score, you know, 15 to 18, even push for 20 goals within that group. That's a good point. Um, that's a name that I would like to see the Penguins bring in. I think that would sure up your offensive group right now, more than what it is right now, especially to open the season. Because you look at that top six now, 
I would assume that on the top line, one of Riley Smith or Brian Rust would move up to, to play on the top line. And then what I think is a possibility that could happen, you could have Evgeny Malkin with the, the leftover of Riley Smith or Rust, and then maybe a guy like Alex Nylander starts the season on the, the second line and they experiment with that. You know what that. I was going to say is I was going to throw Jeff Carter on the wing up there because he's played some uh, right wing for Gino. Yeah. Potentially. That, that, that's a possibility too. Um but Nylander but, did last year too in spurts. So Nylander did in spurts, and we always we always mention his pedigree. So you know <laughs> yeah. he's he's got that eighth overall pedigree. Maybe he he starts the season up there, but someone's going to have to. Jake's not going to. So there's going to be a body that's missing, and so Thomas Tatar would make sense because well, I mean the guys we're talking about, Alex Nylander and Jeff Carter, they're not shoe ins to be for sure like second line scorers. So. Uh, Thomas Tatar would at least make me feel better about the depth of the forwards entering the season. Yeah. So whether that's him or somebody else, I think with Jake out, I'd like to see an addition to the forward group. Um, because I just think for right now, while he's out, it's necessary. And then when he comes back, man, it just makes me feel a lot better about that bottom six. If you have just even one guy within there that can provide some scoring punch, the way that Thomas Tatar has throughout his career, which is also insane to me that he's bounced around as much as he has, considering the the impact that he continues to put up, regardless of where he goes. So, yeah. So, it, assuming that Jake would go on to LTIR, I I don't know how long he'd stay on there, but if mm-hmm. he is on LTIR, the Penguins will have five point nine million dollars of cap space. Yeah. So I mean, there's plenty so, of it's just you know. They can definitely get around it up until when Jake comes back, and then I well, don't. And, really and know then who... the, I guess you evaluate when he comes back. But yeah. if it's if it's late enough in the season where you basically Tampa Bay the game and say Kucherov, you're oh. staying. J- Jake, you're staying in on LTIR until the playoffs. <laughs> I I mean, hopefully we're not even looking at it being close to that long. But yeah, all right. I mean, who knows? Um, Ankles are weird. Yeah, that's true. Um. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about the Steelers. Like I said, preseason game coming up on Friday. We're well into training camp at this point. What's been going on? I've been having conversations, obviously, with Alan every day on Steelers Afternoon Drive, the other podcast that I host, and getting some good info on what's been going on there. So we'll talk about some of that stuff when we come back. Don't go anywhere. All right, the Pittsburgh Steelers open up their preseason schedule. Just three games now go into 17 regular season games. They open up the preseason on Friday going to Raymond James Stadium to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Great opportunity for guys, especially like shortening the preseason. The coach has got to see a lot more in less time. So, you know, guys that are fighting for jobs here, this is always a great opportunity. I feel like every year I say that I'm more intrigued about the preseason. I think it was definitely truer last year than any other year because of having Kenny. But like now this year, I'm so excited to see Broderick, Darnell. I mean, it's the rookie class. I'll just throw them in as one. The rookie yeah. class for sure. But then, you know, Calvin Austin, who we didn't get to see at all last year, I'm very excited about. Um, and then like, who in the secondary is going to be getting reps because 
I wouldn't expect to see Minka play, and he hasn't really practiced that much. Demonte KZ just came out of that boot, so it's going to be a lot of guys, again, fighting for roster spots. You know, the Kenny Robinsons, Elijah Riley's of the world who have taken a lot of snaps. Trey Norwood's taken a lot of snaps with those guys not being there. Um, so I, I don't know that there's, like, a lot of starting jobs that have, like, competition, but certainly when you go down the roster for who's going to be, you know, the 48th man, the 49th man, 50, 51, 52, 53, who are going to be those bottom of the roster guys. I think there's a ton of competition. So I'm excited to get to the preseason just for that reason. Yeah. And, and one position group that you didn't mention that I'm interested to see play in game action is the linebackers, just because we talked over mm-hmm. a, a, a yeah. lot, how the, uh, Mark, Mark Robinson, Robinson is. Um, yeah. He, he he's he's the only turnover from last year and i'm curious to see how he looks but also the, all the newcomers with cole holcomb and landon roberts i mean there, there's a and newly newly addition koan alexander as well um but there's a lot of guys that have never played an actual game at, at linebacker for the steelers and, and it's it's all new so i'm curious to see what that position group looks like hopefully we we get some some good linebacker play on on uh, this weekend and you know that that's one that i'm definitely going to be watching because there's no any there's no familiarity with anybody there except yeah. for a little bit of mark robinson we we got a we got a taste last year i guess the question for me within that group is how much are those guys going to play even uh you know outside of mark robinson they're all kind of vets so I I think they'll probably want to see – and the Steelers definitely do play their guys more in the preseason than most teams. Alan and I were talking about that. Like, that's why the Steelers, you look back at their last two openers, they've won games that they probably shouldn't have against Buffalo and Cincinnati, and it's because those two teams don't play their guys in the preseason, and yep. they're not getting those reps. So there is a benefit to the Steelers – you know, playing their guys in the preseason as frustrated as it might make people, they come out more prepared early in the season. You see Buffalo and Cincinnati obviously finish stronger because they're better football. They've been better football teams the last couple seasons, but right out of the gate, the Steelers have been a better football team than those two teams the last two years. That's the reason why they're getting those reps in the preseason. I still think we're going to see guys. I think I think that we're going to see Kenny play. Not, I I don't want to say like a a good bit. I think he's going to play in the preseason enough like i still think he's going to get reps in the preseason what game will he see the most time in i would say the second one the one home one that they have against buffalo um Mm -hmm. it's harder to say because like typically in past years before we went to this new schedule and there was four we knew it was going to be that third one where we saw the starters play a half now it's kind of like the coaches do it differently like it seems like everybody around the league has their own method to their madness um but the steelers are going to play their guys I think that, you know, everybody on this roster, barring health, is going to see time at some point in the preseason. So uh, I'm really excited. I'm glad you brought up the linebackers, though, because Mark Robinson, I should have mentioned specifically by name, too, for somebody I'm excited to watch. Uh, He looks huge, uh, like physically looks huge. And I just I think that they I think they like him a lot. Like, I mean, that sounds stupid to say. Obviously, they drafted him. They like him. But I think they feel like there is something there i know they added another linebacker and quan alexander and they're not putting a lot on his plate right now um but i think that they're just excited about continuing to develop this guy that had only played one year at linebacker before they got him in their hands so i'm excited to see his development continue um slot corner like who who's going to be that's gonna be a battle too the, the the curious thing to me about the like the nickel is 
is right now on their depth chart chain and Sullivan is listed as, as the mm-hmm. first string nickel, which I feel like is probably expected. It's very chalked. That that's what you brought him in for. So you're not going to have somebody else there, but I'm curious to see what other corners are they going to have play in the slot throughout the preseason? Like, are they going to experiment and have some of these like outside corners move inside and, and get reps there um, like Patrick Peterson or, or, or someone else. Like I'm curious is like, or is that just the plan from the Steelers perspective is like Chandon Sullivan is our slot corner and we already know that, or are they going to experiment with someone else? That's something that would be interesting to me to see. We know that rookies don't get put as starters like ever. In the, and this is just the initial depth chart. Like there's really doesn't mean much. I'll be curious to see how it is after like the second preseason game more than I think even more so than the first one. Um, but Patrick Peterson also has, like just hasn't done a whole lot in general so far in training camp, and I don't know that he's going to for the most part anyway. So I still think that we're looking at it by the time that this conversation is taking place right before their opener against San Fran, where it's in base. Yeah, you're going to see uh, Patrick Peterson and Levi Wallace on the outside, but when they go into nickel, it's not going to be Shannon Sullivan as the first guy in the field. It's going to be Joey Porter Jr. on the outside and Patrick Peterson kicking inside. That's realistically what I think to happen. Now, when they go into like dime and you're talking about having two slot corners on the field, maybe it is Shannon Sullivan as opposed to like a Keanu. I would still go with like a Keanu Neal, though, as a dime backer. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're going to do. Shannon Sullivan started out camp pretty well. Uh, the last few days have not been good for him from what Alan tells me. He's given up a ton right now, which, you know, you go back, he gave up the most yards in the league yet last year from the slot. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious as to how that battle plays out though, too. Um, the other thing is the offensive line, uh, three tackles have been really good. Like the three that you would are, are going to have to play, um, but they don't have a fourth tackle really like La Raven Clark has been getting beat basically every single rep. Um, I think he was the guy they kind of brought in hoping to be that guy right away. So like, like a break glass in case of emergency, Broderick Jones wasn't ready early on. And one of those two guys goes down. La Raven Clark was a guy with NFL experience. He has not been good uh, seemingly losing every single rep. So I wonder, and I brought this up to Alan if they could deal from their interior depth and move a guy like Kevin Dotson, and even if it's not straight up for a tackle, you know, recoup a day three pick and then flip that day three pick for a tackle or something like along those lines. I still think that there's go, they're going to add, and I know they keep bringing in like bodies for camp. I wouldn't consider that really an addition. I still think they're going to add somebody to the secondary by the time that they get to the end of tr- the end of camp here. Do you think they look at safety or corner or just, in general, uh, it, I, I could see it being somebody that could play. They're, they're going to have to play in the slot. I mean, I'm not talking about an, a, a boundary corner here. I think they have what they need there. Um, I think it could be a guy that does both. If it's just one, then it, then it's a slot corner. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that makes, that makes sense because that's that's the position in the secondary we've been having the most conversation about. We're still unsure. Alan also goes, said like, that lines up, though. Like That's been there their weakest looking group so far through camp. We got asked that question. Somebody posted it under yesterday's show when we answered it today. And I said, I mean, 
that's one of the two spots coming into camp that we had the most questions about that and inside linebacker and inside linebacker you had like decent players it's just guys that haven't played on the Steelers they haven't played together here. yeah yeah so that's where the questions were coming from the slot I mean I just have questions about the personnel that's even here so interesting conversation I'm curious to see how the the preseason plays out um someone that i'm interested to see or some some positions i'm interested to see so it Mm -hmm. it seems like our our front in the defensive line is is pretty stout with like larry ogajobi cameron hayward we have so many defensive linemen but like i want to see like Braden fahoku demarvin leal keanu benton isaiah loudermilk like what are some of these guys going to look like in the preseason i I think can't stop talking about loudermilk I, I think there's going to be, and I'm not even mentioning like Armand Watts, Manny Jones. I mean, there's there's several guys that I feel like there's going to be healthy competition. Maybe not necessarily for starters, but like to to fill out your depth depth chart and to to move up and down the depth chart. I'm curious to see like what does year two DeMarvin Leal look like? Is he going to be uh, less of a tweener, uh, uh, less of an inside outside guy, or is he going to look like more of a traditional defensive tackle in year two? What's rookie Keanu Benton going to look like in game action? I, I think the defensive line, even though we have what looks like our starters pretty much filled out with Larry Ogunjobi, Montrevious Adams, and and Cameron Hayward, I think that that'll be interesting to see Like, who are some of the guys that are performing at the best level to be the next man up on that defensive line. So that'll be interesting to thing to me and then the other thing that was pretty fun and i'm sure you and alan talked about it how the use of kendrick green at fullback in in camp yeah that, that's a that's a very interesting I, are idea they, i want to they better break that out on friday in that preseason game because kendrick green's not be a starter a anyway so like uh, he what if he plays he's he'll probably place like a good bit of center in that game and then use him at fullback when it's uh mccollum <laughs> as the center with the third string i i think that would be really fun and it, it, it's a way to uh, I honestly not not necessarily I can't say make up for the pick of Kendrick Green, but like it's a, at least it's a way for him to be useful to the team if, if that's how they're going the to use it. Yeah, it's a way to make the roster, but it's a way to like like I can see them if if you're on the goal line using a package with him in there. I I I think that that would that could be a realistic possibility. I and I, I think that would be a fun idea too, just from a fan perspective, looking at Kendrick Green playing fullback like that's a big dude running down the hole so i i think that would be pretty cool pretty fun to see that they experimented with that in practice this week and and yeah so the, the, going forward like that's another thing i'd look at is like how how do they use kendrick green at that fullback position because they don't really have a true fullback like i mean they, yeah. they do but with with uh technically like connor hayward is listed as their fullback but he's like yeah he's in between the tight he end threw and, a pass today he did <laughs> Wait, what? He threw a touchdown to Farmy. I was about to say Matt Canada went into the bag of tricks today for practice. They were running a bunch of of end arounds, jet sweeps, and and doing some different things. Connor Hayward was getting carries from the fullback spot, and then one he ran. They ran a jet sweep, but instead of running, as soon as Connor like Connor Hayward faked like he was going to run the ball to the outside, stopped on a dime and threw the ball to Farmuth in the end zone. Hmm. So that, that would be really. I mean, fun to I want to see game. this. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I want to see this stuff in the game. Like people, it's funny because like when it's happening in training camp, everyone's like calling Canada an idiot and stuff like that. Isn't this what we're looking for? Is creativity? Like I don't yeah. know. I, I'm totally cool with experimenting the way that they have. So that's well, well. That's what we thought we were getting with Canada. We thought back back when he was named OC, didn't we think that we were going to get a creative offense? So yeah. I, I'm open for it if if it's if it's useful and if it's productive. 
I just can't I, I can't imagine being the the middle linebacker that has to take on the hole that has a a six four three hundred and fifty pound Kendrick Green coming into the <laughs> into the A gap or something. It I mean, be, that's like the, so the fullback funny. the fullback in Baltimore, Pat Ricard. He's like three hundred pounds. He was a D end, and they made him a fullback. He's you know pretty similar in terms of of what he brings to the table as Kendrick Green. Kendrick Green though, Allen was telling me like he'll be burning like he's fast. He's a really good athlete. Yeah. Like that was never the question. That's not why he failed at center. He was like burning past Najee on some of these like at, when he was lining up at fullback. Like he was doing too far ahead of them. So I'm. <laughs> I, I hope what we see it in game. I'm I'm excited for it, but this is a way for him, in my opinion, to secure a roster spot because I don't think that he was taking like a strike. He was losing some reps on the second team to McCollum. So I started to question whether they would bring in, you know, a backup center at some point, but them using him now in this capacity, I think his spot on the 53 is pretty safe. I think, uh, you know, the sudden retirement of Monty Pottenbaum kind of opened up these reps for Kendrick to experiment with this. Yeah. I'm also curious to look at how the wide receivers are going to be used. Um, I, I feel like the the top three are definitely not in question. You have Allen Robinson, George Pickens, and, and Deontay Johnson. But then after that, you assume that Calvin Austin is going to be the fourth guy. But then after him, who's going to be your fifth receiver that they retain? Um, I saw a, a video today of Miles Boykin thro- throwing a stiff arm. Uh, in, in in a rep, but I, I I feel like there's there's an open competition for that fifth wide receiver spot too. So even though there's not a lot of competition for starters, I feel like there is definitely competition, like you were saying, for the, that like back end of the the depth chart. Those those last few guys that are going to make the roster, there's there's some healthy competition there still. I, Gunners had a good camp too. I mean, don't I don't think. I, I think that it's <laughs> I think they could carry six. That's the thing though. If they I, bring I back like, Gunner, can I at least get Calvin Austin returning punts? Well, he is at, on the depth chart, he is number one right now for both punt okay. and kick return. Good. Yeah. Good. So um yeah, we'll see how that goes. But you know, it's gonna that if they keep six, it's gonna be a big question because you're gonna have I feel like five right now I would give to Boykin because of what he brings special teams wise. For six, you're gonna have Gunner, Hakeem Butler, Des Fitzpatrick. I mean, you're gonna have some guys competing for that spot there. Hakeem Butler's yeah. had a lot of drops. Well, that's why it's the fifth receiver, not the first one. Yeah. Um, I think that's it for Steelers talk. Unless you got anything you want to bring up. Nothing in particular, just excited to actually see Steeler football this week. Yeah. Uh there will be games on Thursday, but we don't play until Friday. We so. were we were a bunch of degenerates last week watching the Hall of Fame game. Yeah. Most watched Hall of Fame game since 2018. Uh and it was more it, always, it was more watched than the NBA finals, the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh or the Stanley Cup final. They were listing all these these sporting events. It's like, yeah, America or America is is it's a football country still. Like it's football is king. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll be right back. We're gonna talk a little bit of Pirates baseball. Don't have too much on that front. Uh they are playing right now. Um, so it might be breaking the fourth wall as we're talking about this, but uh we'll be right back and we'll wrap up talking about the pirates.
All right, so as we sit here currently, Colin Holderman is pitching in the top of the sixth with two outs. The Pirates lead six to four. The bases are loaded. He's trying to get out of this jam. Um, what did he say? Base loaded, two outs, six four. Um, Mitch Keller started this game, and that's actually where I wanted to start the conversation about the Pirates because it's been a tale of two halves for Mitch Keller. He's channeling his inner James McDonald right now for the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, or 2013 Jeff Locke however you want to uh, say it. But it's been a tale of two halves for Mitch Keller. You look at what he's done. I mean, even a little bit before the All-Star break, but definitely after the All-Star break, his last few starts, he did have one where against the uh, Phillies where he went five and two-thirds, six hits, two runs. But other than that, eight runs last time out. Today, he couldn't get through six. Um, six runs in his start against the Angels three starts ago. Eight runs before that in his start against Cleveland. Um, just not good, basically, since the all-star break for Mitch Keller. Is there something um, that – and he just – Holderman just walked in the run. Great. Um, is there something with Mitch Keller, if you've you know watched any of his starts recently, that looks different from the first half to the second half? Or what do you think it is? Like, why all of a sudden has he reverted – not – all the way back to the Mitch Keller of old, but he looks so different than he did pre all-star break. I, you know, I don't know. And I feel like definitely the, I feel like the environment of the team he's playing on doesn't help though. The fact that the, the pirates kind of leveled out to what we thought they were. I don't think that helps with a pitcher's confidence uh, with the team behind him, but you know, from the first half to the second half, I don't know if it's like the, just his pitch placement, and and the, where he's throwing the balls because I don't th- I don't see a huge difference for me and I don't see like a confidence issue that like I've seen in the past because before Mitch Keller didn't didn't really look like a guy that even wanted to be out on the mound but I don't think that's the case from the first half to the second half but it's interesting to me just the the steep drop off because I'm looking at his splits and like it, over the last thirty games so basically thirty games of his his season that he's pitched. Um, on the season, he's got like a 4.39 ERA, um, which, which you know, it's it's definitely taken a dip because of his recent performance. But in his last seven starts, he's 0-5, which we don't put a lot of stock into a pitcher's like win-loss. But when you're 0-5, it doesn't leave me to believe that the rest of the stats on your stat line are going to be pretty good because he has a 7.22 ERA in that time in in those seven starts. He's walked a lot of guys, I feel like. Um, that That's another thing. He wasn't walking a ton of guys. That's one thing I'll say mm-hmm. I noticed is he, he started to get the walks up again, which was an, an issue that, that he has dealt with in the past. His whip has gone up. He's not striking out as many guys. Um, but I, I don't I don't know if it's if it's all just the length of the season where he he was performing at such a high level is like this is his him just coming back down to earth i don't know like what where is where is mitch keller as a, as a as a starter is he somewhere in between what he is has shown his last several starts and what he was in the beginning of the season or is he one or the other and was performing either above where he is or below where he is it's it's a it literally is a tale of two halves and i made the joke that he's just he's just lowering his his annual amount that he's going to have to earn with when the pirates give him an extension, uh, he's just being team friendly right now. But you know, that's just me not being optimistic. 
Well, the Pirates will probably appreciate that. Bob Nutting certainly will appreciate that. Um, Because they certainly would still like to bring him back, I would think. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know that I've really noticed anything mechanically looking at him. I don't know if there's been like a side-by-side shot to really break down and look at that. But at least like nothing jumps off the map to me. Um, So I don't know what it is. Like some of it has been just like bad luck too. I'm not saying he's been good. Like he hasn't been good. Um, but I, I really don't know what to attribute it to. It's just, it, it's another, um, I don't even know. What's the opposite of, uh, feather in the cap? Like what would the opposite thing be if you're talking about in a negative light? Because knife in the back, maybe for Oscar. Marine. I, I, I don't know. Mitch Keller was kind of like the saving grace for what Oscar Marine's time in Pittsburgh has been. And now with him going in the wrong direction, I, I, I don't see a reason to keep him around I mean, either. I mean, the entire coaching staff to me has not been good, but I look at his tenure and it's like, who has he made better if Mitch Keller is not the answer to that now? Yeah. I mean, and this, these stats haven't been updated um, for tonight's game. Obviously this, this game is still happening as we're listening. It's Tuesday night's game against the Braves, but in April, May and June, his ERA was 2.93 and 3.56 among those months. And then you get to July and it jumps up to 6.28 on the month. And then August is sitting right now at 14.4, but that was definitely escalated or accelerated by the, the, that one game. And he's only had the one start, I believe in August. Um, because it's been a short month right now. This is the second start of the month. So that I'll come down a little bit based off tonight. But there has been a little bit of an incline over the past couple months, um, and I'm just trying to see, see anything else that like sticks out over over this. Uh, the 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 walks have gone up um, uh, from his his first two months pitching in April and May. He walked eight eight guys and five guys, and in June and July, which June was still a decent month for him, but you started to see it go up, but he 11 guys, 12 guys. Um, and you know, the, the, the strikeouts definitely down may he struck out 53 guys. And in the, the two months after that, he struck out 25 and 27. So, you know, I, I, I just, maybe it's just a bit of some bad luck. I mean, there are some, ups and downs to a season as a team and as players you, you see them especially with 162 games but this is something that you you would like to see not be a, a more consistent thing that it has been um for mitch keller because we i think we talked early on in the season or maybe this is even last season maybe i'm blurring season baseball seasons together where it felt like mitch keller would get like one or two good starts oh, and then yeah. you have one or two bad starts and then one or two good one like it was just flip-flopping but now it's it's been a lot of bad for a lot of the time. They haven't really had a lot of the good starts recently. So I don't know. It's 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 been an unfortunate um, or unfortunate thing for Mitch Keller, especially after the start of the season he had, being an all star and everything. But you know, it's it's almost done. Maybe maybe he just needs to to reset and and get through this season. I I don't know what the answer is. I, I let's end on a positive note though because. I really like what I've started to see from Andy Rodriguez. Kind of bummed that he's not in the lineup today. You know, I get that maybe Jason delay catching was a way to try to get Mitch Keller back on track. And he he was okay today. Uh, went five innings, gave up three runs. 
you know, nothing to really write home about, but wasn't terrible. He gave him a chance to win. Um, I think ND sitting though is still what I have an issue with, you know, find a way to like, whether it's DH, I mean, you could th- he's playing the outfield in the minors. They haven't done it yet in the majors. I, I think you gotta keep a, his bat in the lineup right now and let him continue to find something because I think he might have found something. He's really started to hit the baseball well. Three hits two games ago, hit a home run in uh, yesterday's game. I'm I'm intrigued. They're also eight and five in games where he started. So you know you look at the since he's come up games he started versus hasn't. He's been a a a big X factor for them when in the lineup. So um, I like what I've seen from Andy as of late. I hope that he stays away from Andy Haynes and doesn't listen to a single thing that he says. Uh, Cause you've seen kind of on the opposite end of that Henry Davis, who came up and was hitting really well right away. He's gone into a little bit of a slump now where he has like, like what two hits in like his last 30 at bats or something crazy like that. Um, I still like, Henry Davis is a player. I still think he's going to be okay. But again, just on the opposite side of the pitching side with Austin Marine, who, who's Andy Haynes making better? That's these are all fair points. You're you're making some fair points. Um, Andy Haynes makes nobody better, and I I would say like maybe it is a case of at least with Henry Davis that maybe the major leagues have figured him out more. Um, not to say that he was like on a, on a tear and needed figured out, but he's been up here a little bit, a little while. So maybe some, there's some more, uh, tendencies that teams are picking up on with Henry Davis that they, they can exploit. Um, I, I'm just trying to make excuses for him besides just blaming Andy Haynes for everything is what I'm trying to yeah. do. Um, but yeah, Andy, Andy himself, he's been good. Uh, he's, he's getting on base over a third of the time in his last 15 games. So I, I, I think that. That's that's really positive. Andy is one of the guys that we were excited about coming up here. One of the young guys, um, and I, I, I'm encouraged to see that. Even though like Nick Gonzalez didn't have a, a ton of sustained success, but like Henry Davis for a while had some success. Andy is having some success. We don't we aren't seeing these guys just come up and struggle right away and, and struggle for a prolonged period. There is some improvement that they get over their first few from their first few uh games and um even though henry davis has slumped a little bit i'm i'm encouraged by what i've seen from some of the young guys that we've brought up it it, it makes me more more encouraged about like what the future of the team could be with a lot of these triple a players that we've been calling up i'll be a lot more encouraged if we can count on mitch keller being a part of the top of the rotation uh during that time because the pitch that we've had lately that would put a damper into the way that we're viewing the next few years in this competitive window. We yeah. didn't necessarily think he needed to be the number one starter, you know, expect like when Steens comes up, I think it's fair to expect he's going to be the best pitcher on the, in the rotation fairly soon. Um, but if you can't even count on Mitch Keller to be, you know, the guy behind him, that probably changes how you feel about their competitive window. Yeah, that that's fair, and I would love to actually hear what some people who have pitching knowledge and baseball knowledge, real baseball <laughs> yes. knowledge, actually s- yeah. say about about this situation. Like, what do they think's going on with with Mitch Keller, or what they think is going on with a slump like Henry Davis has been in? Someone who actually knows uh, what what could be happening because uh, 
obviously we we are not those guys. We 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 make our own observations, but we are not the oh. uh, baseball analysts that that a lot of other people are. And so I'm curious to see what an actual person would say like like that that would say like what is wrong with Mitch Keller or what's been the problem the past two months with Mitch Keller. I'm curious what it would be. Yeah, well, for all that conversation, go to a different podcast. It's not going to happen. So. <laughs> You're not going to get it here. But check out the Steelers and the po- and then hockey talk, though. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, oh, also, by the way, Colin Selby uh, up with the big club now. Great beard. I went back. I was like, that name sounds familiar. He DM'd us, not us him, and asked about getting a Trust the Buck and Process shirt. He's got to be Did he one, get one of the few... I just asked him today, so I, I know that he's obviously busy right now. Hopefully, he replies because I was like, if you didn't get one, end up getting one on your own, we'll send you one because he was going to buy one. And he was like, yeah, I'll probably. Oh, he's do it that later. guy? Yeah. Because I remember you telling me about that like four or five years ago about a player on the Pirates in the Pirates organization that was going to buy a shirt. Yeah. yeah. I remember this. I remember this conversation, okay. but I had no idea who the player was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's up with the big club now. So, look at that. Uh, wish him all the best. Maybe, maybe if he if he responds to you, maybe we get him into the clubhouse. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, four years ago, we got a shirt into the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can do. The you know same what? Thing I actually now. might have instead of doing it with uh, what we like the old trust the bucket process. I might have Haley actually because she already has the design now. It's just not on any shirts yet. I don't think right. I might just hey Haley, can you make twenty five of these t shirts? <laughs> hey, there you go. No specific reason. Great, great publicity. Um, but all right, that's everything that we got here. Again, subscribe, like, hit that notification bell, leave us a five star review if you're listening somewhere else. Leave us a comment. Let us know how you feel about whatever we talked about. Feel free to chime in on any of the topics. Let us know what you want to see in a future episode. And in the description, we got the links I mentioned. Haley with everything custom designs. Those will be down there as well as year six of rocking around the 412 being kicked off uh, as of last month. First five years of doing the mission, we've raised over $25,000. Last year, we also partnered up with the East Rochester Salvation Army with their Angel Tree of Hope. And we're going to adopt a bunch of kids this year again. If you guys know anything about the Angel Tree, that's kind of how it works. Literally, all the kids' names are on a tree. And a lot of businesses or like I get just individual people will go in there and they'll just pick a pick off of a tree, a kid with and it has their list right on this tree this whatever's hanging on the tree and um so we did 15 of those kids last year and we're going to get a bunch this year too and of course do uh families like we've been doing in the past as well on top of that but uh it's been a great way for us to incorporate kaylee and isla and honor dalton's name with the, the salvation army stuff i uh, you know it's still blows me away going back to last year uh with how selfless kaylee was and wanting that to be um what we did with that as opposed to giving isla her christmas so uh i'm happy that we're going to continue to do that and partnering up with the east rochester salvation army you can find out more about them they have their own facebook page you can see like what they do there's a church inside there they have a food bank attached to their building as well they do a lot more than just you know what you think of when you think of the salvation army so um But yeah, I think that's everything. So for Tyler, I'm Smitty. Come back here next week for more of the same stuff, which means a lot of good football talk, a lot of good hockey talk, and baseball talk as well. (laughs) Um, But until then, we'll see you.
Bye-bye. <laughs>